Hi, welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Kelsey Zeiser, and we're here at the Palo Alto Ignite event in lovely Las Vegas. I'm joined by Wendy Whitmore. Thanks for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me today, Kelsey. It's yeah, great to be to here. Yeah, um, it's nice to be uh, in person. I know we keep saying that, but it's so like refreshing to actually go to an event. <laughs> right, yeah, definitely different than virtual or even hybrid, which we've been doing as well. Yeah, and you all have definitely had a good uh, turnout this week, a lot of folks here. Uh, and you gave a keynote yesterday um, and some background on Unit 42. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, just your role at Palo Alto and then uh, what is Unit 42 for those who might not be familiar with it? Yeah, absolutely. So Unit 42 is really our threat intelligence and consulting arm of of uh, Palo Alto Networks, right? So we're a business unit that specializes in consulting, which includes responding to cyber breaches and anything that helps organizations prepare to do that more effectively. Uh, also to assess or transform their business in the on the security practice side. Uh, we also have a threat intelligence team, which was founded in 2014. And that's what many people know us uh, from and we produce a lot of information that we share publicly. We also work behind the scenes quite a lot, both in sharing and providing information to and from uh, different government and intelligence agencies, working with law enforcement, uh, as well as ensuring that we're building product detections into our software continuously so that all of our products have the ability to detect the latest threats. And then the third component of Unit 42 is our Managed Detection and Response, or MDR team, which is hunting across millions of hosts throughout the world on our client sites, consistently looking for uh, you know the next biggest threat. And all of those data sources, so investigations, threat hunting, partnerships, uh, are all then being fed back into the central analytics engine, which then populates our uh, technology. Mm -hmm. And it, that's kind of something that I, I feel like we've heard a lot this week about the importance of uh, the use of data for security. Can you talk a little bit about what uh, Palo Alto is doing in terms of, uh, you know, data analytics for your customers and, and how are you, you know, leveraging learnings perhaps from one customer to help another? Uh, absolutely. So that central analytics engine is really the key to that, right? So if you're looking at, um, you know, data ingestion, and I think that's, um, you know, such a great question because I think some of uh, some people in the industry will look at data as it relates to threats as primarily only coming from the data that you might learn during an, inve an investigation of an attack. And while that's great information and it's very rich in the sense that it's current threat actor activity, um, that's simply only one piece and uh, you know of a data set. So the fact that at Palo Alto and at Unit 42, we're pulling that in as one data set, right? But from over a thousand investigations per year, which is pretty significant, that's a high volume. Um, we're also then pulling that in from our external partnerships. So the work that our team's done since 2014 to build these incredibly strong relationships, uh, I think very much witnessed by the types of uh, operations that we do. So we were uh, just cited last week as part of Interpol's Africa cyber surge operation, um, which took down uh, hundreds of thousands of nodes throughout the world that were involved in cyber criminal attacks, um, first of its kind operation. That kind of data is also incredibly important to be bringing into that central knowledge store. Certainly the hunting from, again, the the threat hunting across our XDR uh, 
you know, uh, systems throughout the world on client sites is a very different type of information, right? It is also really current in the sense that at scale, you're getting access to identifying what types of attacks are uh, occurring across the, throughout the world. Um, and then, you know, pulling that all back into that central curation engine where you have really bright analysts who are looking at it and evaluating and identifying, okay, this is a, a new tactic that we haven't seen before. Not only do we need to alert our clients about it and build it into our product technology, but we also need to share this back to that ecosystem that I mentioned to make sure our partners, our peers are also aware of it. So um, that whole machine, if you will, in that engine is what's creating then our ability to uh, immediately put that data into our products. And just to expand on that a little bit more, you know, my team of, at Unit 42, we have a team of threat analysts and researchers, but then there are over another over 200 within the company in each of our product teams that work in a matrix capacity with mine um, to where they are working very closely to build those detections specific for their products. So we're aiming to get you know detections out within minutes to hours at the most into our product so that operational uh, you know operationalizing the intelligence and Ryan mentioned that you know earlier as to it's really what you do with the intelligence mm -hmm. not just what intelligence you have and I think that we at Palo Alto Networks really do a good job of demonstrating that internally in a way that then makes it much more helpful for us to share that same level of information with our clients. Yeah, that's, that sounds similar to uh, another theme that I'm noticing this week is having a uh, proactive versus a reactive approach to security. So it sounds like your team is uh, really hard at work on, on making that happen as well. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, Ryan was also discussing earlier the, I think it was the Cyber Threat Alliance. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and Palo Alto's role and um, you know how that helps you uh, work with other organizations to um, access more data, more reports, and, and further uh, improve what you can do in terms of security for your customers. Yes, so the Cyber Threat Alliance uh, is an organization that we were a founding member of, and today there are over 35 different uh, companies that participate in it. And it's really a formal exchange forum to be sharing indicators in a way that when other organizations identify something, uh, a new attack vector, for example, a new threat, they can share it with that group very quickly and vice versa, we can as well. Uh, I think one of the unique factors about the Cyber Threat Alliance is that they actually measure participation in a very quantifiable way. And that's something that at uh, Palo Alto Networks were really passionate about the data-driven approach. Mm -hmm. So being able to quantify, you know, how many indicators were shared, the um, validity of them, and ensuring that what you're the data that you're sharing is really having an impact on other partners' ability to protect their clients. And the end goal, really, of all of the Threat Alliance, of the Cyber Threat Alliance, is to protect. Uh, to build product detections for all of these companies that are protecting clients throughout the world. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I think that we've been able to demonstrate much faster access to information. Uh, you know, uh, those 35 
uh, companies are coming from different types of data sources that they each have access to. So together, you can imagine how powerful that is um, to be able to then bring that level of information back to our clients and vice versa for other participants to do it as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting point, Ryan, uh, made that you know, you do have to be a very active participant to mm-hmm. stay in the, the yeah. CTA. So, but um, that's, that's a good, um, to keep everyone moving along. And uh, yes. yeah, that's, that's important. Um, and then does unit uh, 42, do you also uh, work with uh, service provider customers in addition to, we've talked a lot about, you know, enterprise customers and SMBs that are um, trying to improve their security posture. Are you also working with uh, service providers and, and providing managed services through them? Um, are, are they customers as well? Or, um, you know, do you consult with them at all? Uh, so we uh, will work. So there are services we provide, like our managed detection response team, right, which is a um, software uh, you know, more of a managed service business. Um, if you're talking about formal partnerships with other managed providers. Such as like Verizon or AT&T um, providers like that. Yeah. So, you know, I think Palo Alto Networks as a whole does. Unit 42 uh, at this point doesn't have a number of formal partnerships mm-hmm. in that regard. I think that will be something that we'll look to do more moving forward. Okay. Yeah. We'll keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Uh, and then you were also um, on a Women in Tech luncheon yesterday, which was really interesting. Uh, can you give us some highlights from that? Uh, there was some discussion. Lindsay with AT&T was talking about hiring for attitude um, versus um, skill set necessarily. And you all talked a lot about um, creating an environment where folks can be upskilled within their organization. Um, if you can just give us some some quick highlights or, or takeaways from that luncheon, that'd be great. Okay, great. I certainly can. So, uh, you know, I think that we're all faced with a challenge of how do we build the most effective and diverse teams. And that's an area that we're very passionate about here at Palo Alto as well. Um, So one of the areas that I think is really important is looking for curiosity in team members and ensuring that, uh, you know, the people that we have on the team are approaching problems and different data sets from different angles. And that's incredibly necessary for us to really be able to, uh, you know, solve the problems that we have, right? Because we need people who uh, approach problem sets from different angles, who think differently, who maybe turn a problem uh, you know, kind of on its head, if you will, to to figure out and identify what are the new angles. And for our teams, that's incredibly important because that's how attackers approach problems, right? They're very creative, um, highly motivated to be able to solve the next challenge. And so we need to uh, be able to solve problems at a pace that's going to be able to neutralize, right, their innovation engine. So having more diversity on the team is incredibly important, and it's mm-hmm. cred- incredibly, uh, you know, part and parcel to us being successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you all talked about, was it relationship equity? Um, I'm trying to remember <laughs> the exact yeah. phrase that we that, that we discussed about, um, you know, making sure that not only are you um, skilled at your job, but that you're able to work with that diverse team successfully. Yes, Lindsay uh, labeled the term relationship equity, so I cannot take credit for that. <laughs> uh, but I thought it was a great term, and you know, one of the it, it tied into a follow-on comment that I had about being a great team member, and that oftentimes, you know, when I'm asked, 
uh, by employees like, hey, you know, what's the number one way that I can get ahead? I can get the next promotion. I can get the next role. You know, I want to continue to move up. And I, I respond with, well, be a, first and foremost, be a great team member. And that may sound a little counterintuitive or some people may initially look at me and kind of be, you know, head scratching because, you know, table stakes are being great at your job, right? Being technically competent, having the skills needed to excel in your field. But as you continue to, to move throughout your career and get higher up, it becomes increasingly important to have people who are going to advocate for you. And as a, a leader or a supervisor, if I'm bringing my uh, team members to a promotion panel or a promotion board, it's no longer just me telling you know my boss, hey, I have this employee and they're so amazing, they deserve to get this promotion. It's really a um, you know jury of your peers, if you will, where you have leaders from across the company who are then um, you know providing inputs. And if you're somebody who's burned a lot of bridges along the way you could be the most technically, you know, have the most technical aptitude of anyone in the world. But if you've burned all those bridges, it's going to be really hard to continue to be moving up. So I think that's really important for especially these highly technical um, team members to understand because oftentimes those skills of, um, you know, communicating and being a good team member and getting along with difficult people are minimized in a technology field. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Having those soft skills is really important for um, anyone, no matter, you know, what role you're in. Uh, yes. And just to wrap up, kind of revisiting um, back the, the security discussion, uh, you know, Brian was talking about how it, ransomware has gotten a lot of press, but there's also a big issue with, um, you know, compromised email credentials. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and what you're working on um, with your clients in terms of making sure that their uh, credentials are secure? I, just to um, uh, Verizon and in, in one of their uh, I think it was their data breach investigation report last year. They called credentials the glazed donut of, of security, <laughs> sort of something like that. Basically, it's um, you know really appealing to hackers is is accessing those, um, getting a hold yeah. of credentials. So, I mean, I think 2022 has been the year right of of credentials, if you will, in terms of looking at these attacks that have been successful. They ultimately all boil down to having some sort of an access to a specific credential within an environment, whether it's lapses, whether it's uh, ransomware actors, um, you know, but the same for nation state cybercrime, right? And so I think it gets, it's, it's broader than only access to credentials. It really gets back to, uh, you know, the fundamentals that we feel like we've been, you know, saying over and over again for however many decades, right? It gets back to best practices across mm -hmm. the board um, of security fundamentals and really being able to detect the attacker's activity as quickly as possible. And so you're looking at uh, forcing them to take longer to achieve their objectives and then giving your team of defenders more time to be able to respond to that activity. The more that organizations can kind of shift that time frame. Uh, then enables them to be more successful in responding. And so that gets to having the ability to detect when credentials are dumped, having multi-factor authentication, you know, as many places you, as you can, the logging that's needed, the network segmentation, all of these different best practices that are going to continue to buy your team's time because they take the attacker longer and longer to move through. Mm -hmm. uh, is it also important to... Um I suppose, coach employees on uh, taking onus over um, security as well, uh, you know, 
I think is it is it important to um, make sure that they feel responsible as well for protecting their organization to kind of prevent some of those things and stop and think when they get an email that seems a little suspect before they proceed with um, maybe giving some compromising information. Yes, I mean, I think it all goes back to building a culture of security within an organization, and that involves everything from ensuring employees are aware that these problems exist and that they're occurring and that's something they should be on the lookout for to them feeling empowered to make decisions you know about security some of the most interesting uh, breaches that we've never heard about in the news are because employees at all levels of the field you know made a very split decision to take a server offline when they saw something was weird to make a phone call and let a supervisor know, hey, I think there's a problem or report something suspicious. And so creating, uh, combining that level of empowerment with a culture that certainly values security and realizes it's not only the security team's responsibility, but it comes from the leadership of the organization um, is very critical and makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so we're all <laughs> responsible for it. Yes. Uh, well, thanks so much, Wendy. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for You're joining welcome. me on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me.